Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the Bible uh, in the black hardcover in the pew in front of you, and you'll find it there. It's on page 1070, or you can grab your bulletin. This is rare, but it happens to be this week. The whole text for the sermon is right here on the front. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. Only 10 of you have this bulletin. Just kidding. If you have this bulletin, you can see the text. Everyone else, open your Bibles. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Hear God's word from Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May his word dwell richly among us. Lord Jesus, that's what we're praying now that your word, the word of Christ, would dwell richly among us here through Hebrews 13, 17. We ask that you would not merely help us to understand the text, but to rejoice in your glory, to repent for our unbelief and our alternative idolatrous joys. Unless you build the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless you preach the sermon, unless you help us to hear the sermon, unless you hear the sermon for us and in us, then we hear in vain and we meditate in vain. So Father, help us to not waste our time and sin against you. Instead, we pray that you'd help us to abide in Christ and have his words richly abide in us. That as we ask you in his name, we might bear much fruit for your glory. So help us, we pray, and help the children to hear your word in the children's class and the children here. Open their hearts and minds to the gospel and bless the teachers who are teaching in the children's class that they might speak your word and that it might powerfully effect and change the trajectory of our children's lives this Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What should I do for my career? Who should I marry? What should I look for in a spouse? How do I fix this broken friendship? How can I grow as a Christian? How do we know that the Bible is true? What does the Bible teach about how we should help each other grow in Christ? What is true repentance? How do I really know that I'm a Christian? How do I know if that person is really a Christian? These are all questions that I have asked in my Christian life. I was saved in 1989, and since then I've asked many questions through the years, and these are all questions that I have asked others in my Christian life. And just like the whole book of Hebrews teaches, uh, teaches us about the heroes of faith, those, who have, th those that have endured by trusting in God's word and in Christ all the way to the end, Christians, like the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, desire to live by faith, trusting Christ for all of these answers so that they could live their lives enjoying Christ as they seek the city that is to come. That's what it's all about, enjoying Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. And to get there, Hebrews tells us, we have to live by faith in Jesus. 
So we take our questions and we say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you with the big questions and the small questions of my life. Our problem is that there are so many opinions to these questions. There are so many options of where we can go and what decisions we can make in our lives that the path forward is often unclear, fuzzy, and hazy. That's part of our problem is that we can be, so, so inside we get hesitant and we get unsure of ourselves. Is this really the right way to go in life? Or am I making a mistake in my life? And so we, we live with a hesitancy and an uncertainty of which way to go. Or, conversely, an error on the opposite side is we live with an arrogance that we know what's best. And we just go without even thinking about whether it's actually best or not. And so either way, we either are paralyzed by fear and uncertainty or we just move on in presumptuous pride as if we got it all figured out only to learn the hard way that we've went the wrong way. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to be uncertain. We don't have to be hesitant. We don't have to be proud and arrogant about where to go in life, how to live, or to find answers to these questions. God guides us. Amen? God guides us. He guides us by his word. He has given us his word. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us a church family. And he has given us pastors. God hasn't left us to ourselves. Praise God. He has not left us to ourselves. Personally, I've been plagued by these types of questions. Not just the questions themselves, but I've been plagued by the uncertainty and the hesitation regarding life, where to go, what to do. And I have asked pastors these questions throughout my life. And God has guided me through pastors. And this passage here, Hebrews 13, 17, has helped many Christians find joy in their life with Jesus on their way to the new city through encouraging and commanding them to go to their pastors. God wants to help us this morning. It's not an easy command to obey, and so he wants to help us. But first, let's get the command clear. Look at Hebrews 13, 17 again. The command is crystal clear. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Twofold command. Obey your leaders and what? Submit to your leaders. Now, what does it mean to obey them? Well, very obviously means do what they say. Do what they command. Do what they tell you to do. A more accurate translation. Now, obey is a perfectly fine translation. But the idea is really be persuaded by your leaders. That idea is kind of inherent in the word obedience, in this word for obedience. Obey not just grudgingly or unconvinced, but be persuaded by your leaders. So you might disagree with them initially. But then think about it and talk about it and work through the Bible and then be persuaded by your leaders so that you obey your leaders. So reason thoughtfully. It's not check your brain at the door and just listen to whatever that cult leader says or that pastor says. Be persuaded by them and then obey them. And then the second command is submit to them. This idea, this has the idea of yielding to someone's authority. You know what yielding is, right? So if you're driving, the difference between a stop, a stop sign and a yielding sign, in a stop sign, you have to make a complete stop. In a yielding sign, you don't have to stop completely, 
But if there is a car in oncoming traffic, you have to what? You have to stop at that point. You have to yield and give them the right of way, right? They have the right of way. And so you're yielding and giving the right of way to pastors. That's what the command is. Obey your leaders and yield to them. Submit to them. And that's not just an action. It's an attitude. An attitude of deference. An attitude of trust. It's an attitude and recognition of your position as a Christian under the authority of church leadership. Now, this is not unqualified submission. This is not unqualified submission. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 says, rebuke an elder with two or three witnesses and then publicly rebuke. So, I mean, you know, go approach an elder with two or three witnesses and then if he is sinning, publicly rebuke an elder. So elders, pastors, overseers, bishops, all the same office. They are not infallible. They can and ought to be rebuked when they are wrong. So the Bible doesn't teach an unqualified obedience, submission, yielding, being persuaded by pastors. And by the way, it doesn't say pastors, it says leaders, right? Why am I saying pastors? Because you have deacons and deaconesses. John preached on this last week from 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you haven't heard it, go listen to that sermon. I encourage you to listen to it. It's encouraging and edifying. And the deacons have a role of serving, but the elders, pastors, are the ones teaching. And if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, the chapter before, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but then the elders are to teach and exercise authority, whereas deacons and deaconesses don't. So what is the office in the church that exercises authority? The office of elder, pastor, overseer. So even though the author of Hebrews does not say pastors, he says leaders, if you read the rest of your New Testament, you should know that leaders means pastors. Okay, he's referring to pastors here. So, but he, let me back to my point. Um, the author here is not referring to unqualified obedience. You know that God gives authority? What are some other authorities? What are some other human authorities that we're to submit to biblically? Parents? What's that? Police? So government authorities? So government authorities, parents, anyone else? What's that? Grandparents? Grandparents? <laughs> Actually... Not quite. It says, children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, but not, it doesn't say children, obey your grandparents. What else? Employer. Employer. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, slaves obey your masters. Okay, what else? Husbands. The husbands don't want to say it, and the wives don't want to say it either. So it takes a, a, single, a single member to say it. Husbands. Husbands. Yeah. Wives, submit to your husband. So, okay, you have husbands, parents, um, slaves, masters, or you, employers, employees, government authorities. You have these, and then actually pastors, we have pastors, and another one is the church. We're congregationalists. The church has authority, humanly speaking, to exercise the keys. And so here are all of these different human authorities, and does that mean you have unqualified obedience to any of these authorities? No, not one of them do you have unqualified obedience. All of your obedience is qualified by these human authorities. These human authorities must pass the, the Acts 5.29 test. You know the Acts 5.29 test? We must obey God rather than men. So if the authority, the God-ordained authority of parent, um, a parent, husband, government authority, pastor, church family, 
if the human authority disagrees, disobeys, or causes you to disobey the divine authority, God, then who do you listen to, God or men? God. Here's, so Jesus is Lord. To become a Christian, you have to confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He's the only one who doesn't need qualification. When Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. You can trust him 100% more than anyone or anything else. Just trust Jesus and do it. But everyone else has a subordinate, or we could say this. God, God, Jesus, is the only ultimate authority. All other authorities are penultimate authorities. All other authorities are penultimate authorities, not ultimate authorities. Only God is the ultimate authority. Now, this is what we try to teach, you know, um, oftentimes in parenting. I like to, in my impatience and flesh, I like to shortcut the system and just stop reasoning with my 13-year-old or my 11-year-old and just say, just do it because I said to do it. Now, that's fine with a 3-year-old and a 2-year-old. But with an 11-year-old and with a young adult, soon to be young adult after this month's uh, manhood ceremony, young adult in the home, you can't just, if I'm going to parent my kids well to be responsible adults, I have to teach them to disobey me when I disobey the Lord. You, and you have to teach your kids as soon as they're young, there's only one person that you obey all the time no matter what, and that's God. And you must disobey me when I disobey God or encourage you to disobey God. Don't compete with God, parents, pastors, church, government. Don't compete with him. You will lose in the end and maybe even in this life. If God is merciful, we have a delegated, subordinate, penultimate authority. And so we teach our children to not follow parents. Children, obey your parents in the what? In the Lord, for this is right. When it says wives submit to husbands in Ephesians 5, it's not a blanket statement. Why are you submitting to your husbands? Because Jesus told you to. Paul is an apostle with the authority of Christ. Then if Jesus tells you something else and your husband tells you something else, follow Jesus and do not submit to your husband at that point. Now there is ways to submit, have a submissive spirit even when you're disobeying because you have to honor your parents no matter what. You have to honor pastors, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, even when you don't listen to them. But the, the application here, the exhortation here, obey and submit to your leaders. Let me give you different words. Entrust yourself to your leaders. That's a way of being persuaded. Entrust yourself to your leaders and yield to their authority. So what's the main goal? Here's the main goal of the text. We spend a lot of time with the command because that's the, the main command. We want that to sit on our hearts and minds. The main command here, the main goal is gladly trust and yield to your pastors for your own true and eternal good. Okay? Gladly obey or gladly trust and submit or yield to your pastors so that, or for your, own, for your own true and eternal good. So this text gives us two reasons to submit to your pastors. I sort of said it with your own true and eternal good. But let me give you two reasons here why you need to submit to finite, fallible, sinful, yet faithful and redeemed pastors. Why? Two reasons. And here's the... Outline. Okay, reason number one, it's in your soul's best interest. Gladly submit 
gladly trust and yield to your pastors because it's in your soul's best interest. Why is it in your soul's best interest? Look at Hebrews 13, 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them since what? Because, here's a reason, because what? They keep watch over your souls. Here's why it's good for you to trust your pastors and obey your pastors because they are watching over your what? Your soul. And so it's in your soul's best interest that you submit to them. Now, why must pastors, why must pastors watch over the souls of their members? Why must they watch out for dangers and watch out for opportunities? Well, it gives us a reason, at least in verse 17. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will what? Give an account. Here's, let me give you three reasons why pastors need to watch over your soul. First, Jesus is going to hold them accountable. On judgment day, I will have to stand before God and give an account for my pastoral ministry from November 2, 2014 until the day I stopped pastoring here. And from October 26, 2008 to October 26, 2014 at Crossview Church and at Christian Fellowship Bible Church from 2002 to 2007, I will have to give an account for my pastoral ministry of those souls during my tenure at those churches. So the 1,109 members we had in, in 2015, we're accountable and I'm accountable, which is why we cleaned our role. But pastors have to answer to God, why did you shepherd Ross this way and not that way? Why did you preach this way and not that way? I'm giving an account for the good and the sins in my pastoral ministry. Ben and I and other pastors, Pastor Alex Hong is here from Christian Fellowship Bible Church. We have to give an account before God for our pastoral ministry. This is scary. Listen to Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21. Actually, before that, you're in Hebrews 13. Look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, and who is the Lord Jesus? The great what? Shepherd, what's another word for shepherd? Pastor, the great pastor of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, equip you with, every, with everything to do his goodwill. So Jesus is the great pastor. Why must pastors watch over your souls? Because the great pastor is holding the under-shepherds accountable. We have to answer to the great shepherd on judgment day. So listen to Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21, especially the pastors here, and those who aspire to pastoral ministry. And other members listen to it so you understand what your pastors need to be feeling the weight of. This applies secondarily, or maybe even primarily, to Christian members of a church watching over each other. But let's, we're, we're talking about pastors watching over. Ezekiel 3, 17, 21 says this. Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, prophet, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you don't warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. Now, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, we could almost say today if a church member turns away and starts living in unrepentant sin, and I put a stumbling block in front of him, he will die. If you did not warn him, 
He will die because of his sin, and the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn the righteous person that he should not sin, and he does not sin, he will indeed live because he listened to your warning, and you will have rescued yourself. What is God saying to watchmen, to the spiritual watchmen, which is every member of the church over each other, and then pastors? What is God saying to pastors? If you don't warn the church members who are sinning and you shut your mouth because you're scared of the pushback and they die in their sins, they'll die for their sins, but the blood will be on whose hands? The pastor's hands. The pastors have to give an account and blood will be on my hands and on Ben's hands and on Alex's hands if we're unfaithful to warn you about sin and judgment. It's not personal. It's not, I don't like you. It's, I don't want to answer to Jesus with blood, with your blood on my hands. So pastors need to, so this is why you need to shepherd, or why you need to obey your pastors, because they give an account, they watch over your souls, not just because they get a paycheck. Ben doesn't get a paycheck. He's a non-staff pastor. He's completely volunteering in this regard. But here's the thing. You need pastors who tremble more at God's judgment than at your judgment. That's what you need. And that's why you should listen to them because Christ holds them responsible. Let me give you two other reasons why pastors, why, why pastors need to watch over you. Um, and they're both in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 3, 14. Hebrews 3, 14. It says this. For we, so it talks about watching over each other. And encouraging you to know this so that we're not hardened by sin's deception, verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until when? Until the end, the reality we had at the start. Here's a reason why pastors need to watch over your souls. Because if you say you're a Christian, but you burn out like a popular pastor who just renounced his Christianity recently. If you don't hold firmly to the end, you're not a Christian. So why do pastors need to watch over your soul? Because you still have indwelling sin. All of us do. When you become a Christian, indwelling sin doesn't disappear. It remains. And it continues to wage war on your soul. And if you don't repent and receive encouragement and watchful care of pastors, that sin can choke out the word from your life and you can show yourself to not really truly be a Christian, even if you're a member of Bethany Baptist Church. And so pastors must watch, must watch over you because you have indwelling sin. And sin deceives you. You can't see it all yourself. That's why you need church family. That's why you need pastors. And then there's another reason, a third reason why pastors need to watch over your soul, and it's similar. It's really closely tied to it. Look at Hebrews 2, 1. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, and that's Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus, chapter 1. So that we will not what? Drift away. Why do pastors need to watch over your souls? Because you need to focus on who? Jesus. Because if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus, and if I don't proclaim Jesus, and if we don't proclaim Jesus in our pastoral ministry, and you stop seeing him, you will what? Drift away. Sin will take over. Sin will harden your heart. And you'll fall away from Christ and prove yourself never to really be a true Christian. You can't lose your salvation. But they went out from us, First John 2 says, because they're never really of us. Because if they had remained with us, then they would have proved that they're with us, but they went out of us. They went out from us to prove that they were never really of us. True Christians stick to Jesus to the end. And God uses pastors to do it. That's why 1 Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life and your doctrine. 
preach these things, for by them you will save yourself and your hearers. Why do I need to preach Christ to you this Sunday? Why do we say we gospelize not only non-Christians but Christians? Because if you don't hold to the gospel, you let go of the gospel. And if you let go of the gospel, you fall away. And you will not be finally saved, which means you were never initially saved. That's why Paul commands Timothy and the Bible commands pastors to preach the word faithfully and pastor faithfully. Because by it, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Every Sunday, I'm trying to save you and save myself by looking at Christ afresh from the text. Now, let me apply this before we go to our second reason. I have zero complaints, and I mean this. I have zero complaints about Bethany Baptist Church as a whole with how you have obeyed and submitted to my leadership when my leadership was biblical. I have zero complaints about how you've been persuaded. I understand we don't agree on all things, and that's okay. I understand we don't agree on all things that we think are biblical and obedient to God, which is not okay. We need to reason with each other and try to obey God's word. But even on those issues of sin issues, the, church, the church's spirit of submission has been an encouragement to my soul, and I trust that you will encourage Ben's soul. I, I, I trust that Ben's soul, as he pastors you, I trust that he will taste the sweetness of shepherding this congregation. So Christian brother, sister, listen up. Realize the weighty responsibility placed on pastors. Recognize their authority as those under Christ and obey and submit to them accordingly. And when you need to question your pastors, which you will need to do, question them from a posture and a spirit of love and submission, not of pride and insubordination. Pastors will get it wrong and you'll need to question and challenge them and even disagree with them. But do it from a spirit of submission and love. Just like we would do towards a government or towards parents or towards, or towards the church as a whole. And then we need to obey and confront our pastors accordingly. Don't be passive members who just check your brain at the door and listen to whatever the pastors say. That's not what the Bible says either. First Timothy 5, 19 and 20, you need to hold your pastors accountable in honor, but hold them accountable to the word. If you're a Christian here and you're not a member of a church, I have a word for you. Join a church. You can't obey this passage if you don't have leaders. Podcast preachers and internet YouTube sermons don't count as your leaders. Ministries, parachurch ministries, ministries to, uh, you know, Bible studies that are just kind of interchurch or um, campus ministries, things like that. Great to have leaders there, but that's not what the Bible's talking about when it says obey your leaders. You need to be part of a church to obey this passage. You need to be part of a church that has pastors so you can obey your pastors. You need that mutual accountability. Don't be confused by the vast majority of gospel churches that told you commitment is not necessary to a church for following Jesus. That's not true. It's not necessary for salvation, for initial salvation. It is true for final salvation. Baptism is not necessary for initial salvation. You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, initially. But then you must persevere to the end in obedience. For, the, for those who are not Christian, but just checking out this church gathering, first of all, thank you for coming. It's a blessing for you to be here with our church family this morning as we have so many community things to do, like installing a new pastor, welcoming new members, taking communion. You came on a good Sunday to know our church's community life together. But you might be thinking, you know what? Christians are weak. They're like the babies who cry. They need help. 
Christians need little, they need parents for their whole lives. I thought, I thought part of the goal of parenting is to raise your child to maturity so they don't need their parents to make mature adult decisions so that they can be mature adults themselves. Isn't the idea of pastoring to, to have mature Christians so that they don't need pastors anymore? No. I mean, you want to mature the, the members, but to the point where they, need, they don't need pastors anymore, is that true? No. So you might say, well, Christians are weak. They're spiritually weak. They need guidance all the time. Seriously? Let me give you an example, or let me give you a response to this. Let me give you three responses. First of all, just because Christians need pastors doesn't mean they don't take responsibility for their own lives. They follow Jesus first and foremost. They study the Bible, and they must discern their pastor's leadership as well, as you just heard me talk about. Secondly, Jesus cares for his family. He cares for his people, and that's why he gave pastors to his church. It's not because Jesus wants to treat you like a child your whole life. It's because he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants to guide you. Now, you might not think that humans should have that need of guidance for their whole lives, but Jesus thinks they do. And to be quite frank, I'm just gonna trust Jesus versus trusting any of us here. Third, well, I have a fourth reason that just popped in my head, so I'll make this third. Third, you know this, adults. When you were a kid, if you grew up in a stable home, you thought adults had it all figured out. Then you, then you realize the great secret as you became an adult. We don't know what we're doing. We still need help. We still need guidance. I still have questions. I thought I would have all the answers when I became an adult, when I became a husband, when I became a pastor, when I became a parent, when I became a grandparent. But we don't. In other words, we will always need guidance to some degree. And then the fourth reason why, fourth, fourth response to you saying Christians are weak by needing pastors. Let me just say this. It's nice to have someone watching over me who is watching over me not to get rich, not to use me, but because they have to answer to God. It's nice to just kind of relax and realize that there are pastors who are going to be over me where I don't have to worry about ulterior motives. Now, they might have ulterior motives, but I guess who's going to take care of that in the end? On judgment day. Who's going to take care of that? Jesus is, right? I don't have to worry about that. It's, it's freeing to have men who are dedicating themselves to the Bible and to Christ and to the church to watch over me where I know that they have to answer to Jesus. That's freeing to not have to worry about making sure that they get everything exactly right and hold them accountable on judgment day because Jesus will do it. Now I know we're mostly Americans here, so we resist authority. It's all about the individual. But read your Bibles. There's a place for authority with God as the ultimate authority. There's, it's right to overthrow wrong, abusive, sinful authorities and reject them. For church family, encourage one another to support and obey the leadership of this church as they faithfully follow Christ, especially Ben as your new pastor. Pick your leaders and hold them accountable in the appropriate way. For the society at large, the message to the world is, listen carefully to pastor theologians. They're not your pastor if you're not part of their local church, but if they're speaking God's word, they will give an account for it. It's crazy, we don't think about this, but it's crazy how much the world doesn't listen to pastors on world issues. Not that pastors are experts on every world issue in politics, but they should be bringing God's word to bear on all of it. And the world would do well to listen to pastor theologians. The good news for us is God cares for us and he gives us finite, limited, yet faithful pastors to tangibly care for us. Question, do you feel, church member, do you feel God's care for you through imperfect pastors?
Do you feel that God cares about you? He does. He does. So what's the main goal? Gladly trust and yield to your pastors for your own true and eternal good. Why? First of all, it's in your soul's best interest. Secondly, and lastly, second reason, because it's a wiser investment. Why should you obey and submit to your leaders? Because it's a wiser investment. Wiser investment? We're talking about investment strategies this Sunday? Well, look at Hebrews 13, 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them as those are, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And here's the second reason, so that they, will, so that they can do this oversight with what? With joy and not with grief. Why? Here's the reason. Why? For that would not be, or for that would be what? Unprofitable for you. It's a bad investment. You don't profit in the end. What, what is the point here? Grieving pastors, groaning pastors, overly burdened pastors don't pastor well. And when they don't pastor well, you know who suffers? The people suffer. They suffer from insufficient pastoral ministry. Joyful pastors are better pastors. They're not perfect pastors, but they're better pastors. And therefore, you profit from their ministry because they don't need to be tempted to use you for their joy because they're happy in God. Now, I kind of preempted myself here. You might say, okay, wait. If I obey and submit to my leaders, then they do it with joy. And then when they do it with joy, then they pastor me well. So if the pastor's joy is in my obeying and following them and submitting to them, then my pastor's joy is flimsy and weak and shallow. So my pastor's joy in pastoral ministry depends on my submitting to his pastoral leadership. Isn't that a weak joy? That's not going to help me in the long run because that pastor's joy would be weak. Let me say a few things about that. Number one, a pastor, you're right. A pastor's joy should be, must be in God. I love what was told about Jonathan Edwards when he was fired from his church. One of the pastor friends who was there during the meeting looked at Jonathan Edwards while the congregation was critiquing him and complaining against him. And he saw Jonathan Edwards' disposition and he said, it looked like his happiness was completely, completely out of the reach of his enemies. They couldn't even get to it. His happiness in God was so deep and profound and secure that as the enemies tried to attack him, they couldn't even touch his happiness. He just sat there with calmness of soul in the midst of opposition. It's beautiful. So pastors must have their joy in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Consider your trials a great joy because it gives you more of God. So that's the second thing. Second reason or second response is that a pastor should rejoice in trials. Pastors don't get to complain. Pastors don't get the privilege of complaining sinfully as if it's not sinful because they're pastors. Pastors must not complain. They must rejoice in their trials and be thankful for their trials. Okay, so... Yes, it would be shallow if those things weren't true. If a pastor was not rejoicing in his trials and being thankful to God in his trials and was not rejoicing and delighting himself in the Lord, then yes, his joy is flimsy. He should not be a pastor, actually. He should step down from the ministry if that's his permanent or his regular source of joy. If if God is not his regular source of joy. But, according to this passage, pastors should also rejoice in the spiritual growth of their people. Pastors should be encouraged by their people. They should find some legitimate joy from the obedience and submission of their people as they lead them towards Christ. 
So here's the point. And I said it once, I'll say it again. The pastor is more effective in serving you. Your pastors are more effective in serving you when you make it a joy for them to serve you. You can sinfully tempt your pastors to sin and complain. Now, a pastor's sin is his fault. He can't blame another person for his sin. But you can sinfully tempt pastors. Sadly, many good pastors are burned out today from difficult churches who do not recognize God's love to them through their pastors. Now, let me think of, let's think about this word unprofitable. Because I'm talking about how it's a bad investment if you don't listen to your leaders and submit to them. It's a bad investment for your soul. Why? Because it says here, that if they're, if they're grieving, if they're groaning, it would be what for you? Unprofitable. It will be what for you? Unprofitable. Say that one more time. It will be what for you? Unprofitable. What does it mean, unprofitable? If I invest, it means you end up spending more than you receive. If I invest $1,000 into a business or into an investment fund and I get $100 back at the end of it, I lost money. I, I did not profit. And that's what happens to you if you have joyless pastors. If you have happy pastors, then when you invest $1,000, you get back $10,000. You get 10 times your investment. You gain, you win, you profit. It's a terrible investment for your life and for your soul to tempt your pastors to grumble and complain while you commit to being under their pastoral leadership in the fellowship of a church. That makes no sense. I'm going to invest my life, I'm going to commit my life to this church and these pastors, and I'm going to make it a pain for them to pastor me. That makes no sense. That's like throwing away your money. It's unprofitable for you to invest your life with a church family and a pastoral leadership when you are making it a pain, an unnecessary pain. There is necessary pain, but an unnecessary pain to pastor you. Do you remember the parable in Matthew 25 of Jesus giving talents? Jesus tells a story of a master giving talents. He gives basically large sums of money, five talents to one servant, two talents to another servant, one talent to another servant, and then he goes away for a long period of time. He comes back to his servants, and he says, what did you do with my five talents? I made five more. I invested it. I did a few things. I made five more. Great. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with two talents, what did you do with it? I invested in it. I got two talents back. So now you have four talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What about you, servant, with one talent? What did you do with it? Well, I was so scared of you. I didn't want to lose the talent. And I know that you're a really harsh master. So I went and buried it to make sure no one would steal it. Here's your one talent back. And the master says, you wicked and unfaithful slave. You'll be thrown into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Take that one talent, give it to the one who has five and made it 10. And that was the punishment for a bad investment, a bad investing of talents, money, or life. Here's what I'm saying here with this passage on unprofitability. Jesus expects you to invest your time, your money, your life, your friendships with your pastors in the context of your church family. He expects you to invest in the church your life, so that you get a profitable return and reap, a, reap big time benefits for his kingdom and for your joy in this life and in the life to come. In other words, Jesus wants your good. He wants your profit. He wants your joy. He wants you to be used to spread the gospel and to extend his kingdom. 
And so he wants you to invest your one little life in a church family with pastors so that you get back double, triple, 30, 60, 100-fold for your investment. That's what he wants for you. And that's why it's a wise investment to obey and submit to your leaders. They will help you persevere to the end. So let me close here, or let me give you some application here. How can you help your pastors lead with joy? Honor them and their office in your heart. Also by meeting their needs. So that's 1 Timothy 5, 17 and following. 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 and 14 talks about honoring them. So honor your, honor your pastors. Not above God. Not in a self-exalting, pastor-exalting way. In a God-exalted way. A God-centered way. Now how can you express love for your pastors? I have several suggestions here and I will not share one of them with you. Be creative. You figure it out. That's your responsibility. I know how I'm going to honor Ben. I know how I'm going to express my love to Ben as, as my pastor now. But you figure it out. It would be self-serving for me to, to give you my list. So I'm not going to give it to you. Here's another way you could um, help your pastors lead with joy. Gospelize your pastors and disciple them. Discipleship always goes two ways. Disciple me. Disciple Ben. Influence us towards Jesus. Gospelize and proclaim Christ and apply Christ to us that we might trust in him afresh and turn from our sins again and again and again. That's how you can help your pastors lead with joy. Church family, what does this mean for us as, as a whole church? Realize that some churches don't have pastors. And some churches don't have pastors who pastor with the weight of the divine accountability on their shoulders. They're more scared of their people than God. Realize that not all pastors have this sense. And be thankful that your pastors have that sense. I trust that Ben has that sense. As a church family, trust your pastoral team's decisions as a church when the issues are unclear in Scripture. We are congregationalists in this church. We're not elder rule. So we teach that the church has the final human decision before God. Pastors are to teach and equip their congregations for those decisions, but the church must finally make those decisions. And so what I'm telling you, church, is to follow your pastors as long as we're following Scripture. Trust your pastors when it's unclear. If you're not a member of a church, find a church and find pastors that you can trust because you have to obey this passage whether you like it or not. And God's commands are not burdensome, so you should like it because God loves you through it. If you're not a Christian, let me tell this to you non-Christians. There are advantages to having Christ shepherd you through one of his imperfect shepherds. Or now, if you're in this church, through two of his imperfect shepherds. Jesus wants to watch over you. He wants to feed you. His word, he wants to protect you. He wants to guide you. And he wants to give you tangible examples to learn from and to be influenced by. Jesus loves you. He loves his people. That's why he gives them pastors. If you're not a Christian, Jesus loves you too. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to turn from your sins and trust in his life, death, and resurrection so that in trusting in him, he will shepherd your soul directly and indirectly through pastors. Again, non-Christian friend, let me ask you a question. Where in the world will you go to find people who feel the weight of God's accountability as they joyfully care for you? Where can you find people in this world? What organizations, what communities, what online communities can you find where you're gonna find men who will sacrifice their lives to watch over you with joy, knowing that they're gonna have to answer to God in the end? 
you will find that nowhere else but in the local church. So come to Jesus and receive his gifts of imperfect pastors. Let us all pause and praise God that he wants our souls to profit in this life and in the life to come. God doesn't want us to waste our lives. He doesn't want us to waste our time, our resources, our investment. He wants to multiply our investment through giving us pastors. God is passionate for his glory in our lives and for our joy in him, in this life and in the life to come. All right, but still, PJ, you're still hard to follow sometimes. I get it. And I don't know Ben that well, but I, I assume that Ben will be hard to follow often and sometimes in his ministry as well. And you're right, we are hard to follow. We're human, we're fallible. Even when we're right, we can still be hard to follow. So how are you going to do this? Let me, go to, let me just give you uh, two exhortations from Hebrews on how you're going to do this when you have imperfect, fallible, hard-to-follow pastors. Exhortation one, focus on Jesus, not your pastors. Focus, fix your eyes on Jesus, not your pastors. Let me give you three verses. For this reason, we must pay, Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, Jesus Christ, so that we don't drift away. Not pay attention to pastors, pay attention to what you heard in Jesus. Hebrews 3.1, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus, not your pastors. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us run the race of faith with endurance, fixing our eyes, keeping our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's my King James coming out. The source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He endured the cross for you. Focus on Jesus. Jesus gave his life for you. Don't focus on your pastors. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a second exhortation to you. So number one, trust Jesus. Focus on Jesus, sorry, not your pastors. Secondly, trust in Jesus, or trust Jesus, I'm sorry, let me say this way. Trust Jesus in and over trusting your pastors. So trust, in, trust Jesus in trusting PJ and Ben. And trust Jesus over trusting PJ and Ben because we will get it wrong at times. Does that make sense? Trust Jesus in and over trusting your pastors because Jesus is the great pastor. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, I read it to you. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, who was brought up from the dead, the great pastor of the sheep. And he brought us up um, through the blood of the everlasting covenant or God equips us, Jesus equips us as our pastor through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Christ died for sins. We're about to take communion and we're gonna say this cup is the what? New covenant in my blood. Christ shed his blood as your pastor. He is the good pastor who lays down his life for you, his sheep. So trust in Jesus over trusting your pastors. Trust in Jesus while you're trusting your pastors. If you're not a Christian, and if you are a Christian, you need to hear this message of the gospel about Christ's blood. God made you. He owns you. He created you. He's holy. He made you to commune with him. But you and I have rebelled against God. We have sinned. We're sinners. And the wages of sin is what? Death. The penalty of sin is eternal death. You are damned and condemned for your sins to hell forever. Christian or non-Christian. You're damned and condemned 
forever because of your sins and rebellion. But here's the good news. God sent his son, the great shepherd of the sheep, to live the life he should have lived, to lay down his life for his sheep, to shed the blood of the everlasting covenant so that if you would repent from your sins and trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven, you'll be initially saved, you'll be continually saved by his grace, you'll be finally saved. He'll give you his Holy Spirit to live in you and to begin to transform your life. So if you're not a Christian, trust in Jesus today. Repent from your sins. Call on Jesus to save you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So call on Jesus to save you. So to summarize, obey and submit to your pastors or trust and yield to your pastors because it's in your soul's best interest and because it's a wiser eternal investment. Let me give you one focused application here at the end to close. Here's one thing I'm asking you to do. Here's one thing I'm telling you to do. Tell Ben, members of our church, tell Ben or me in person, email, or phone, tell us how we can best pastor your soul before God in this season of your life. Seasons change, right? Challenges change. But email, text, call, talk to Ben or I, if you're a member of this church, and tell us, think about it, and then tell us how we can best pastor you before God in this season of your life. And if that's too much, and you don't want to obey your leaders and at that, at that call, then at least respond to the general email message that I'm going to send out this week that says, how can Ben and I pray for you? Email us a prayer request. But do more than that. Tell us how we can best pastor your soul. I'm not telling you you have to be right. Just give us your best guess. We're responsible, shepherd. We'll figure it out. But give us your best guess. If you don't, if you don't do these things with your pastors, if you don't engage them and share with them your burdens, it will endanger your soul. You will shepherd yourself aimlessly apart from Jesus and you will drift farther from Christ. But if you share with your pastors regularly how they can shepherd your soul, your soul will be cared for well. Your church will grow. This church will grow through your life as you persevere to the end and having a greater eternal reward and you will draw nearer to Jesus. You won't drift away from Jesus you'll draw nearer to Jesus. My soul has been immensely helped by Ed Ormeo, Alex Lim, Michael Abagon, Alan Blotbot, Henry Nepomuceno, Jojo Martinez, Mark Dever, Michael Lawrence, Matt Schmucker, and now Ben Bratcher. These are some of the many pastors who have watched or are watching over my souls to shepherd me. And everyone I bless, I bless in part because of what they invested in me. They have shepherded me through my questions. And God wants to shepherd you. So let me quote, close here with a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Here's an audacious quote from Jonathan Edwards. It is of great importance to the church of God in general that it should be furnished with able, faithful, and successful pastors. It's of great importance. And it is especially of vast importance that people are settling a pastor among them, choosing a pastor among them. It is difficult to think of any affair, 
besides choosing a pastor. It is difficult to think of any affair that a people are ever concerned in of equal importance. It most nearly concerns them as to their greatest interest, even their eternal interest, the everlasting salvation of themselves and their children. And here's where he might make an overstatement. I don't think there's an overstatement there. It's more important than who you choose for the next president of the United States. Infinitely more important than who you choose for the next president of the United States. Who your pastors will be. And then he makes this slight overstatement. A good pastor that has the presence of God with him in his work is the very greatest blessing that ever God bestows upon a people next to God himself. The very greatest blessing that God ever bestows upon a people is faithful pastors. It's the second greatest blessing to God himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for faith in Christ and repentance from sin that would cause us to trust and yield to pastors in all and only the ways that honor you. So help us by your Spirit's power. And may we look to Christ, our eternal, everlasting, and infinite joy and treasure. Help our pastors to show us Christ and to minister Christ to us, that we might minister Christ back to them and to each other and to our neighbors and the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.